This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Are you ready for hashtag blessed? A new segment on every episode of Viral Jesus where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a blessing or a curse. Joining me for our hashtag blessed today is my husband, Seth Day, who is known online as the original sad king. So an article came out this week about the Village Church pastor, Matt Chandler, and the title from a Christianity Today article is, Matt Chandler Steps Aside After Inappropriate Online Relationship. And essentially, if you read the article, it talks about how he was having some type of relationship that he categorized as inappropriate, even though he said that there was nothing sexual in nature going on with a woman who wasn't his wife in his DMs. And it got me thinking, let's do a hashtag blessed segment on this because what is that line in the DMs that becomes inappropriate behavior? You can go to my Twitter thread. My handle is Heather T. Day and see what people responded when I asked the question. Some of the comments were that married people shouldn't have a DM at all with anyone outside of their marriage. This one for me is hard because I'm a woman. I work in ministry, which is a largely male dominated field. So I have several men in ministry that I talk to. Not at all like we text every single day by any means, but I do have legitimate friendships that are totally platonic. And I would say also spiritually important for me with people of the opposite sex. Someone else said that you shouldn't have messages that you wouldn't want a third party to read. For me, my husband does know all my passwords. He doesn't typically go through my DMs, but he does have the ability at any time to do so if he chooses. I also have a social media team that has access to my Instagram and Twitter when they need it. So I know my DMs are only so private. And I think for those of us who have larger platforms, I think that that's important for transparency. Some other people said, if you are more excited to share something in a DM with someone outside of your marriage than you are to share it with your partner, that could be a red flag. So I want to check in with the sad king and get his thoughts on this for hashtag blessed. I am somebody, I have lots of people online. I have lots of friends, male and female. I have men in my DMs. Hmm. Sad King, Seth Day, you and I are married. You know that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What makes some conversations move into an inappropriate space? What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I think there are some like foundational. Right. Rules. Clear cut. Let's name some clear cut ones. Okay. Uh, no, no nudies. Let's just right. go ahead and say it. No uh, nudes. Anything I think where somebody just DM'd a second ago because I posted this on Twitter to get people's thoughts and, and someone said, anytime a man comments on my physical mm, appearance, mm, even if it's just to say like, you're beautiful, I just want mm, you to know you're so beautiful. That is a line. What about over complimenting? Is there such a thing as over complimenting in the DMs or no? What do you mean? I mean, like if you post and then you, I mean, someone's just blowing up. Let's say you get 10 messages, all innocent. In the Chandler article, it talked about how there was a frequency, which I think frequency mm. is fascinating because in communication, we say all communication is intentional. And so mm. you do have to ask yourself, if I'm talking to this other person constantly, more sure. so than I'm talking to my partner, mm. I would say that that becomes inappropriate. 
Yeah. No, I'd I, say that's clear cut. Okay. And I would say this, like, because being new to social media and starting it, the people who do DM more, I have seen them put in groups with everybody. Uh, and I have seen, I, I just think people who, who are in it for the right reasons tend to think things through a little bit. Um, I think that line gets fuzzy when you're not sure. When you're not sure. So you let me see what I can get away with here. Mm. Uh, and, and so no one can really say I'm doing anything wrong. But you know what? If someone is probably writing you 10, and I'm talking to you, the listener, 10, 15 times a day in your DMs, all even if it's just how's your day going? Just or even every in. day, right? Sure. I think even every day becomes... A unique situation. Now, I would say something. If someone has come to follow you, right? If you have a strong presence online, let's say something devastating happens in your life, a loss, or there's a big promotion, look for a little bit more traffic, right? In your DMs. Hey, just checking in, seeing how you're doing today. Um, How's that going? How's the new job? Yada, yada, yada. But the everyday, just Joe trying to compliment on whatever it is 10 times a day, gets a little uncomfortable. Here's the thing on this conversation is Mm. flirting, I think, is large. Actually, so studies show that we find people most attractive who flirt innocuously, right? So it's one thing, I think one of the, yeah, let me. So one of the things that people often say about DMs is, well, I would show my my spouse. But Mm -hmm. the thing is, Flirting can happen mm. in the open. And it's not that you're necessarily saying okay. anything appropriate, okay. but there's chemistry oh, okay. between the two of you, which for me is why in this conversation, for me, I just think this is something you as an individual have to search your heart on. Maybe your spouse would see it and not think anything of it, but you know the intentions by which you were communicating. I understand this, like if you've met someone in person, but you're saying there's a online chemistry that you've never physically talked to that can occur. How does that work? I mean, I get you can sense it in person, but what do you mean when you say like online? I, without going into too much detail, I know people who have talked about this and stopped the relationship, stopped the DMing because Mm. they Mm. said they could sense it. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. You don't think so? No, I I, I agree with you. I'm taking your word for it. I just never <laughs> have, and I and I'm validating that relationship that you have with that person who told you that thing. But what I'm saying is I never thought about it like that. I've never thought about it like that before. That's really Which is why I think we need to have conversations like this as okay. Christians because we have to check our own hearts. We have to cross check with other people and say, hey, what? where is this line? So so what you're getting, what you're really saying uh, to sum this up so far is this is a heart issue. I think right? it's, you said a heart issue? A heart, a heart. Yeah, I think a it's a heart, heart issue. issue. Absolutely. And wow. only the people really mm. know. And God knows, that's the thing God always <laughs> knows. Mm. And so can you stand before God? Mm. right? If you've taken that vow to forsake all others, Mm -hmm. can you stand before God and say, I am still pure Mm. on that vow? Or you know what, Lord, you are convicting me that even though maybe there's nothing that somebody else would read and say, this is wrong, I know my intentions or I can sense theirs. It feels like this isn't right. And so I'm going to walk away. Yeah, that's good. Inappropriate DMs or just DMs in general for those of us in committed relationships, blessing or curse, you decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blast on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. We are going to start episode one 
of our podcast journey on healing with a conversation with Caitlin Beatty. Caitlin Beatty is a journalist, editor, and keen observer of trends in the American church. Her first job actually was at Christianity Today magazine. She was the magazine's youngest and first female managing editor. She's also written for the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Washington Post, Religion News Service, Religion and Politics, and the Atlantic, and has commented on faith and culture for CNN, ABC, and NPR. She is co-host of the Saved by the City podcast, and she's the author of Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church. And I thought she would be a great person to talk to as we look at one of the big reasons many Christians feel hurt by the church right now which is celebrity pastor failures and toxic celebrity churches. Caitlin and I mainly focus on celebrity church environments in our conversation, but the reality is the things she will share with us can happen even in non-celebrity churches where the pastor goes on largely unchecked and stops having to defer to their board or their members. This absolutely happens in small churches. I wanted to share with you a tweet I saw a couple weeks ago from Sam Wan. His handle is Sam Obi-Wan, W-O-N. He is a PhD in Old Testament studies and adjunct professor of Old Testament at Dallas Seminary. Here's his tweet. He said this, I'm a decluttering Christian. Grateful for the faith I was raised in for it brought me to Jesus, but decluttering junk I picked up along the way, learning that there's a lot that felt essential, but was just cultural clutter. Not tearing down the house, just cleaning. That tweet got nearly 5,000 likes and I related to it a lot in this whole deconstruction conversation that's been happening for the last couple of years. People are really hurting. People have really had their trust abused. And Caitlin will provide examples in our conversation. And she goes into so much greater detail in her excellent book, Celebrities for Jesus. But the question I want you to think about as you listen to this conversation is, can we heal? And can we help others heal from their church disappointments if we aren't honest? about all the decluttering that needs to be half and honest about everything we've gotten wrong. Here is conversation number one on our pod class journey toward healing. Now is the time to pause and send this to a friend because I know you know someone who's going to need this episode. I have titled it Healing from Celebrity Church Failures. So I always like to start these interviews by doing some searching on someone's social media. And Caitlin, here's what I got for you. This is a post from your Twitter. You say, I miss old Instagram where you could post a brunch photo and be like, here's some good food I ate. And now in Christian IG world, it's here is my brunch and here is how the Lord spoke to me through my omelet. Here is the lesson God wants me to give you through my toast. Um, I thought that was hilarious because I teach social media and this is the first time this last semester. And I will say I'm at a very diverse school, so this might have something to do with it, but I have my students always, they research various Christians who have large platforms and then they just say what's working, what's not. Mm -hmm. What I thought was interesting is they all said, and this was after an Instagram search that they did, that it made them feel icky. Mm. That as they went through a lot of bigger Christian Instagram content, they just felt icky. And I thought that was the first time I'd heard college students at a Christian school right. say something about that. So because this is Viral Jesus and in light of your your tweet there, take a second and just tell us what do you love about Christian Instagram and maybe what do you wish was different? Or I don't want to say hate, but what do you not like? <laughs> What's not as good? What is a growth opportunity? Yes. Um, well, I, of course, genuinely love seeing life updates from my friends with any number of followers, large or small. You know, I think in its early formation, Instagram was kind of pure. Like, here's just my normal life. Here are normal things I'm excited about. And so, you know, for for a lot of my friends, Instagram is kind of the way that I keep up with what they're doing and what they're about and you know what they're spending their time on. Today, 
and I think it, it, I do sense that it is a pressure for a lot of Christian content creators now more than even a few years ago. It's like there has to be a message or a teaching or like a point to it. Right. And obviously for people who aspire to you know, write a book, right. people are looking to Instagram. So I, I understand the pressure, but I wish that it were a little more low-key and I didn't feel like I was being sold things every mm. time I got on to Instagram. And of course, now with the pivot to Reels, which I'm sure your class has talked about, there is this pressure too to essentially become like a TikTok host because of course, Instagram is mimicking TikTok success. And for a lot of us, that's just not our skill set. And it, they're so time-consuming. So I think in general, what I wish were different is I wish that we didn't all feel pressure to turn our daily lives into teaching content. I wish we could let our daily lives just be that. And so what do you say as somebody in the publishing industry? Mm -hmm. How do we speak back to that? Because you know, the reality is we have to be online or it feels that there's a lot of pressure, especially Mm -hmm. for writers to be online to sell books. How do Mm -hmm. we walk and how do we navigate that? It's a really good question. And it is a question that I am having to navigate literally as we speak, because we are going to talk about a book that I hope people read, you know, so part of it is if you write a book, or, you know, more broadly, you have a message to share, of course, you hope to connect with people and to find your audience and to find people who are going to resonate with what you have to say, or your observations or insights. I think one thing that I look for is am I being offered kind of a message or teaching or idea or is the person and the persona the thing being mm. sold? And I I often say to authors and to other people in the book industry, you know, a platform is not the point in and of itself. You build a platform in order to get up on top of it and deliver a message. But I think there can be confusion around that. And building a platform takes so much Mm -hmm. work and time and energy that that starts to feel like the thing. And then you forget, like, wait, why am I trying to grow this? It's not about having a big platform. You want a platform in order to share a message with other people. So it's, it's a tension, you know? And I think thinking about anybody who has a position of leadership inside the book publishing industry just coming back to <laughs> taking a load off some authors and saying, you know, we value good writing and good thinking and spiritual wisdom and teaching as much as we do a platform. The platform is one of many components to consider, but it's not the main thing. So I think we, you know, speaking as an insider, we actually bear some mm-hmm. responsibility for helping to create this platform-centric subculture that we're seeing right now. My, our friends here are going to love you, Caitlin, because this is something we talk about on the show quite a bit. Before we get to some of the heavier stuff in our conversation, I have to ask you, because I read in your book, you were saying how you live in New York City and that people told you it will get less exciting to see a celebrity in the flesh, <laughs> out in the wild. Who is the person that you have been most excited to see? Who all, I mean, who have you seen? just out there? Yeah. Um, I have seen... Now, I will preface this by saying I haven't seen any of the A-list New York City celebrities. There are like, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld and Tina Fey are kind of regular fixtures if you live on the Upper West Side. I live in Brooklyn, so maybe I'm missing (laughs) (laughs) some of the A-listers. Um... And not all of these are like super household names, but I think some of your your listeners will at least recognize some of them. So Jesse Tyler Ferguson is an actor who was on Modern Family. Gotcha. I saw him coming out of the subway. I saw Michelle Wolf, who's a comedian with like big curly red hair, coming out of the subway. <laughs> I saw Chelsea Handler at oh, wow. like a media event being interviewed. Um I saw Aziz Ansari four summers ago walking in Washington Square Park. And then most recently, this actually was just around the corner from where I live. And I do not live in like a fancy neighborhood. Um, But there's a row of restaurants around the corner. And I saw the lead singer and creator of a band that I really like called LCD Sound System. Mm -hmm. (laughs) His name is James Murphy. He was having dinner with 
another musician, like just out on the street. I'm like, oh, there's James Murphy. So it's a weird experience. And there is something, especially if you have a connection to that person's work, you're like, there's part of you that's like, I want to go thank them or I want to go. But then you realize they are just trying to get through their day, just like everybody else. (laughs) Do not interrupt their meal. Like do not, you know, so you just have to... That must be New York etiquette because here in the Midwest, we will stop you. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. No, I think it's... You got to play it cool in New York. We don't have to play it cool where I am. I think that's... Yeah. I think that's definitely true. Like you don't want to look like a fangirl. Right. But but there are certain actors or, you know, there are certain celebrities that if I saw them, I'd be like, "Mm, nope, I can't hold it. I have to do this. This is my moment. Yeah, I think also is before we get in, I want to address the elephant in the room, which is that you are writing on Christian celebrity. And I think in a lot of ways, experience Christian celebrity, you have a legitimate platform, nearly 30,000 people on Twitter. And I I'm going to preface by saying this and we had Karen Swallow Pryor on who did Mm -hmm. two episodes with us on this specific topic, which is the work Mm. is the platform. And I would say that is absolutely true for you. Your platform Mm -hmm. has grown out of the credibility of your journalistic integrity and your stories. And I've read your bio at the top of the show. So everybody knows that. But have you had any... How did you navigate that tension while writing this book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'm glad you prefaced it by saying that it is kind of an elephant in the room because it's easy for me to look at other kind of mega Christian leaders, you know, and think, well, I'm not a celebrity because I don't, you know, I don't have the kind of following that they do. Or, you know, I just have my measly little so many followers, whatever. 30,000, you know. Well, it's, but then, so it's so, it's so easy <laughs> to start comparing and think, yeah, but that's right, not that, totally, you know. I get it. But I think for, I think this is a good question, actually, for anybody with any measure mm-hmm. of a public presence. Because yes. it's, it can be easy to say, well, I'm opted out of, I don't have to wrestle with these tensions because little old me. But in fact, anybody with a public presence has to ask deeper questions of motive. Like, what am I doing this for? Why am I showing up? What do I hope to get out of this? Is this feeding some level of ego or attention for me? And so I think for me, asking questions of motive, like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Examining how I respond both to praise, but also critique and having Mm. not like practicing non-attachment to either, you know, like, of of course, for a lot of us, you know, the one person says the critical thing and that's the thing that we play in our heads a million times. So that is not good, obviously. But I think there can also be letting hype go to your head that is also not Mm. good. And so just practicing a kind of non-attachment i i could let this go if the lord asked me to take on a quieter more obscure mm-hmm. non-public presence and if that were to come that is good could i actually let it go like could i actually that is good. and it's tricky because when we think about questions of calling or vocation a lot of us feel like well i'm a communicator I've been given these opportunities. I, th- I think that I have something important to share with other people. So it I, I feel called to this space in some way. You know, I think especially as a writer, I definitely feel called to having a public presence. But asking, yeah, but even questions of calling and vocation, we can confuse those with a kind of ego or over-identifying with the work we do rather than who we are. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just imagining, can I let this go? And if not, what is that about? Am I seeking to secure my worth or identity apart from my belovedness in Christ? And it's hard. <laughs> it's a yeah. journey. And I think this does not happen to me, but I, I know other people whose platform has grown like exponentially, like over, mm-hmm. seemingly overnight, they have, you know, a, a million followers or whatever. 
that is not something I would wish on anybody. I think there's something about sudden fame or sudden overwhelming following that can really mess with you on a psychological level. That's a like that's a lot to navigate and handle and exhausting. And you hear like legit celebrities talk about the isolation that can come with like mega stardom. And you start to feel disconnected from your daily life. <laughs> and so I I don't wish that on anybody. And I'm glad that, you know, to this day, it feels like my reach has grown pretty organically. You know, it's mm-hmm, kind of grown mm-hmm. like slow and steady over time. That to me seems easier to navigate than like sudden stardom. In your book, you define celebrity as social power without proximity. And you say on page 19, to have immense social power and little proximity is a spiritually dangerous place for any of us to be. What do you mean by that? So I think of celebrity as just another form of power. And it's a, it's a less obvious kind of power, but it's essentially think the power to captivate attention and, ca- and even to captivate a kind of adoration. A kind of um, intense attachment that people feel to a celebrity figure. But what is so often being presented often by the tools of mass media is kind of a, it's, well, it's a mediated version of yourself. You know, it's, mm. it is what you choose to share <laughs> with the world. And um, what we all need as humans, as, God intended us to be as God's image bearers is to be deeply embedded in real day-to-day flesh and blood community. Mm. Um, We are not meant to live our lives simulated and projected on the screen or in a microphone or on the page. You know, all of that isn't necessarily bad, but it's really just one slice of who we are. And so I think that we need close relationships whether that is in a family or in a friend community, in a church, we all need to be deeply embedded in that to remind ourselves who we are and where our actual value comes from. And also to come into... to have to face (laughs) our flaws and our shortcomings, you know, because when people really love us, they will find ways to speak the truth and love and be able to say, this is how I experience you. And sometimes that can be hard truth, but we all need that, you know, as a, as a form of discipleship and accountability. And so often celebrity kind of shields people from that. Once you are put on a Mm. pedestal by a group of people, they don't have the space to name the ways that you could grow. You know, they don't have the space to name your shortcomings as well as your gifts and talents. They only want to adore. They only want to name the gifts and talents. So in that way, I think celebrity, obviously people can abuse that social power, but it's it's bad for the person who has the celebrity. (laughs) You know, that that level of isolation and just if you're only surrounded with people who are fans, right? You're, you're missing out on an opportunity for real human transformation. What do you think are the ways somebody could shield themselves or just be have more integrity in that space? Because I think what happens, and you and I both probably know people who are super successful, a lot of other people's income mm. relies on the relationship that they have. So then it becomes more mm-hmm. difficult probably to address, oh, I'm exper- I didn't like this part be- because you also are in charge of my paycheck. <laughs> yes. right? So how does that all that get navigated? What are some things, practical tips or something we can do maybe as a consumer to hold at least, because mm. at least in the church, this is the thing. This is at least in Christianity, no matter how big you are, you're still a Christian celebrity, which is, I think, very different than Kim Kardashian, right? Which mm-hmm. is like, Mm-hmm. billion, just a totally different level of access. So even in Christianity, there is there is some level of proximity, right? What do you think? What did you find? Mm. Are we still mm-hmm. able to somewhat t- 
talk because you're, you know, you're only so separated, at least in the church context? Or did you find no, that there are people who totally separate themselves even in in Christian culture? Well, theoretically, I want to say that, yes, like real proximity and accountability is generally more available in Christian communities, at the very least, because we all know that those should be values. Like we all... Right. No, like there's right. no pastor or celebrity leader who's going to overtly say, I don't believe in accountability, right? Like <laughs> we all know <laughs> we, should, we should theoretically be all in favor of this dynamic in our communities and relationships. What can become tricky is there can be the appearance of accountability, mm. but not actual dynamics of it. So you mentioned the fact that, you know, sometimes someone's paycheck is in large part Mm -hmm. dependent on the central figure continuing to do what he or she does, right? Right. So you're at a, you're disinclined to address real issues because you kind of need that person to continue on (laughs) doing the thing that they do in order for you to make a paycheck. Um, And also what can happen too is you receive a kind of refracted or reflected celebrity by your association with the person. So Mm -hmm. if you are at a church with a celebrity pastor who's written a ton of best-selling books and you also want to publish books, part of what you will bring to the table in conversations with publishers is I teach at so-and-so's church and the church and the pastor are going to rally around this book once it comes out. So it is complicated. Um, it's so complicated. I think, I mean, this is, this is easier said than done. But when we're thinking about Christian communities, I do just, I think we're in this moment where we recognize that there is a lot at risk when you center a ministry or church on one specific charismatic figure. You know, the Mm. church, the community has to be more than the pastor or the leader or the founder. Like, however dynamic and well-intentioned and exciting it is to be following that person, there's just, there's too much at stake. There's too much um, pressure put on one person to kind of steer it all and hold it all together. Mm. So in some ways, there's a there's an opportunity here <laughs> really to empower lay Christians, so to speak. You know, Christians who don't have massive followings or don't, aren't getting book deals or, you know, are, don't have name recognition to say, what if what we're doing as a church or Christian community is actually about ordinary faithfulness? It may not be projected on a screen. You may not know about it or see it, but like, what if that is the central call of our community? And are we able to imagine our life together without that central figure at the center? And if not, then I I think there's Mm -hmm. something to examine and just there. How can we uh, almost democratize the vision of the Christian life and Christian leadership? This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today.
I just watched an interview where you talked about how this can play out even on a, a local church context. Not a celebrity pastor, but I'm from a small town, right? The pastor is always a celebrity mm. in a small town environment. But you brought up something that I thought was super interesting. You said, how often is it that you may never have a real legitimate conversation with your pastor mm. about your actual life or their actual life? That there's often distance that we put in church. Mm -hmm right? There's literally a stage, right? <laughs> so literal distance yes. that we put between the pat, the shepherd and the sheep. What do you think are some of the ramifications mm. of this on our faith, mm. on the way we experience Christianity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you mentioned the stage and the pulpit and kind of, you know, if you're in a larger church, you are watching the, the pastor preach and maybe you really appreciate what they have to say. Um, but church can kind of become an opportunity to consume someone's message for personal edification and then church is over. And I know that's simplifying yep. it, but there is something about, and this is not, you know, this is me saying that I think preaching is very important in the life of any church. You know, the preaching of the word is in a lot of ways central to what we're doing but so often that can become, okay, preaching is central, the preacher is central, and their job is to kind of give a dazzling, amazing talk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> the church where I go, I will say, and I, I've said this on other podcasts and hoping that this doesn't hurt his feelings, our pastor is a fine preacher. But what I walk away from most Sundays is not like, <laughs> wow. Pastor so and so was so amazing this week. It, his, you know, his I just could listen to hear him talk forever. It, it it was that was pretty good. And also, we prayed together. We took communion together. I got to you know speak to friends and acquaintances after the church. Some of us went out to brunch. I checked in mm -hmm. with the pastor. We had a little conversation about our summers. Like the preaching isn't the main event. When you think about the importance of pastoral care, you know, and I know that a lot of large churches, there are people on staff whose primary role is to offer pastoral care, that there's someone to provide counseling or to attend to people who are sick or to perform funerals, all of that. Um, but I think for, for any church, what you want people to walk away from is a sense that if I am in a place of crisis, if I'm coming to this church in a place of deep crisis, I know who I can speak with. There is somebody clearly available to speak with. And we just, we have to assume that in any church on any Sunday, people are coming to that church in a place of deep need. And that's where you really get into the vision of the pastor less as an amazing, wowing preacher and more a shepherd of souls. And I think that shepherding work implies a level of knowing the sheep, of knowing their names, of knowing their stories, um, of taking the time. And I just wonder if we have decentralized that to an unhealthy degree and have kind of gotten off track from what pastor's primary role is. Caitlin Beatty's book is Celebrities for Jesus. You can get it wherever books are sold. And she's going to go way deeper into all of this conversation as you read that book. But in your book, Celebrities for Jesus, you mentioned Neil Postman and his book, which I personally love, Amusing Ourselves to Death, and how he says, when the gospel is televised, the preacher is tops. God comes out as second banana. What would you say about Christian social media and influencers? Mm. How do we do this? Where <laughs> does God always come out second? How how do we do this? How are we better at stewarding our online communication mm -hmm. in I light of what Neil Postman wonder, says? I do wonder if God always comes out second in social media. And I know that's a very dour answer to your question, because of course you hope that I can say, no, here's how to do it. <laughs> but, you know, part of what you know, Neil right. Postman was writing specifically about Billy Graham and Graham's televised crusades. And I, 
right. say this and write about Graham in my book, being very appreciative of Graham's ministry. I mean, the, the sheer number of people who are reached with the gospel by his use of mass media is truly amazing. Um, however, I do think that Graham was a little naive about the ways that the medium is the message, so to speak. And the medium changes the message and changes how people receive it and digest it. So Postman's critique of Graham was, if someone is at home, you know, switching TV channels and they're watching The Price is Right and then they're watching the nightly news and then they come across a Graham crusade, what does it mean to receive the gospel and hear the gospel in that context? Kind of in a medium that is inherently about entertainment and consumption. So it's not to say Mm -hmm. that today, when we think about social media and influence and people who maybe have an evangelistic heart and see social media as just another tool to share the gospel and to get people interested in Christianity, it's not to say that no Christian should use social media. That's not the point. It's not to say we all need to, you know, live in caves and become like contemplative mystics and never touch a screen again. But maybe it is having realistic expectations of the kind of depth of message you can deliver on social media. And then, you know, Graham, to his credit, was really good about this. He and his team always wanted to point people to get plugged into the local church. He recognized, you know, you've come to this event or you've watched this event, but this is not the main thing. You know, you, Mm. if you want to become a disciple of Jesus, find a local church community where people can know you and you can be discipled and grow and learn about what it means to be a Christian. I think if we're creating new converts via social media that just want to keep consuming your videos... We're, we're offering a kind of shallow mm-hmm. gospel. There's so much more to what it means to be a Christian than to consume a specific kind of content. I hope every listener picks up this book because I think it brings up a lot of relevant questions, even that everybody should ask, because the reality is, even if you don't, if you're not Beth Moore with a million plus followers, you matter to somebody and somebody is scrolling through and seeing you. And so this is the reality of social media. Everybody has Mm -hmm. become a little mini Mm -hmm. celebrity. That's just the truth, right? And I mean, my friend, my friends who are not even trying (laughs) to go viral, go viral on accident, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just the, the nature of social media. So it's a question I think every Christian should really be wrestling with and thinking about what was your writing process? Did you write everything and keep everything? Or were there things that when you went back through the edit, you said, <laughs> this might get me in trouble. I'm going to take this out. Mm. Was there anything that you took out that so maybe I, you could talk I'm about now? I'm one of those annoying writers who generally what comes out, it's because I'm an introvert and because I've been thinking about these things for years. When it comes out, it's more or less in like the form that I want it to be. That said you know, part of this book is about recounting and looking back at some of the stories of Christian celebrity gone wrong. And for that, you know, I wasn't really doing new reporting. The stories are already out there. You know, we've seen the headlines over the last several years. It's really going beyond the headlines and asking, okay, what were the deeper dynamics that kind of led to this? And are those dynamics at play in other churches that we can all be on the lookout for? So I wasn't... um, It wasn't necessarily like breaking news. I think some readers might expect that I'm going to have this really juicy, salacious, like turn to chapter six to learn, blah, blah, blah. It's not that kind of book. It's more, (laughs) you've seen the headlines, let's go, you know, let's go deeper past the headlines to ask what was really going on here. This is obviously not just an isolated story. There are deeper themes that we see at play in the American church that we all have to grapple with. I did speak to someone who used to work at a prominent mega church in the South who was on the team working closely with a celebrity pastor. Um, That person has received criticisms over the years, but they are still in the position of power. It's not like necessarily a fallen Christian leader story. But 
I was not able to share the details of her story in my book because she signed a non-disclosure agreement. So part of... <laughs> Talk to us about that, Caitlin. What is that? <laughs> what are these and why are they in our churches? So a non-disclosure agreement is a legal, legally binding document that many businesses and organizations use. We've seen them... Uh, for a long time in business contexts where employees will be asked to sign an agreement stating that they will not share kind of insider information if and when they leave. So like if you work at Apple Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you, you eventually go work at Microsoft, you can't take the Apple, you know, you can't take Apple's like insider secrets and apply them to Microsoft. So I think, you know, at their best, they're kind of operating to protect intellectual property. What we see Mm -hmm. in stories of like predatory leaders, not inside the church, but kind of at large, sometimes their victims are asked to sign NDAs in order to protect that person's reputation. So essentially, it is a way of purchasing silence. You know, it's a way of locking somebody into an agreement where they Mm -hmm. can't actually ever go on record publicly with what happened to them because this person who, you know, usually has a lot of power and a lot of money and influence wants to protect that. Um, It's a very good question about NDAs in churches. And I feel like this comes, this has come up a lot in the last couple of years. And I have struggled to find a reason why they are legitimate in a church context. Um, Because leaders and members should be free to leave the church and speak about their experience. Whether it was good or bad, you know, part of, I think, being in a position of leadership is just acknowledging... um, not everybody is going to not everybody is going to walk away with a super happy experience but we are not going to try to control that <laughs> right um you know obviously it's very right. alarming to see the use of ndas in churches where you have leaders who are abusing their power or abusing sexually or spiritually abusive right but i i've i've read about their use in churches where that is not even the case. And I think it just comes across as image management. And I think as Christians, we want to be people of the truth. We want to be people who welcome the truth, Mm -hmm. even when it is hard truth about someone's experience in our community. So to this day, I have not been able to find like a legitimate reason for their use in churches. But so there was a story you had to leave out. Yeah, yeah. Of the book and because I of it. This leader, to my knowledge, it wasn't an issue of abuse, but he was... <laughs> um, the church had an event where they literally rolled out a red carpet for him and asked people to come take their pictures with him on the red carpet. And like just some elements of ego and attention and adoration and... I think the NDA was in a way like protecting his ego. No one can say anything negative about me if they leave. You know, we have to protect my image and brand at all costs. Share with us a little bit about what you learned as you were writing this book about abuses of power and what might be some signs for somebody that maybe they're in an unhealthy mm. environment so I, in their church. I felt like I had to write a chapter about <laughs> abuses of power because in so many stories, both inside and outside the church, that celebrity power, the social power without proximity was something that shielded the person from facing consequences. There is a kind of mm. mindset that can that can set in that I am important enough and smart enough and important enough to the mission of this organization that I am truly above the rules. I can I can get away with things that mm. other people can't. Um, I can treat people how I want without recourse because who's going to stand up to me? Some of the 
kind of early indicators, I would say, um, of kind of celebrity power gone wrong. I talk a fair amount about anger, which, you know, I think when we think abuses of power in the church, we think like sexual abuse, sexual impropriety, or financial mismanagement. Like we have a theology of sex and money and kind of how how to steward both and what are the proper contexts for both. But I think we have some growing up to do about a theology of power and how power um, warps us the more that we seek it or can, the more that we seek it and try to grab control of it. So anger in a lot of these stories is essentially about someone being told that they can't do whatever they want to do. It's some, it's, it's like a, someone trying to curtail their will or offering a different perspective that might um, derail the person's plans for the church or community. And there's a kind of lashing out. Mm-hmm. And I know in you know certain organizations, they're kind of, over time, people around this person say, well, that's just them. They're under a lot of stress. They're under a lot of pressure. They have a short temper. There's something they're working on. We kind of create excuses. The New Testament says a lot about... Um, unrighteous anger and a kind of lashing out and how that is not mm-hmm. an acceptable kind of repeated pattern to see in Christian leaders. Um, right. I would say uses and abuses of technology. Oftentimes in some of these stories, you see people wanting a kind of secrecy around their use of um, media, of cell phones, of email servers, a kind of like I get special privileges to kind of do what I want on screens that other people can't know about Um, and kind of asking for special privileges that other staff uh, don't don't get. So if everybody, you know, has to work on a public email server, but this particular leader insists on a private email server, that Mm -hmm. would be an example of like a special privilege being demanded. I do say a lot in the book about a growth mindset. And obviously, most Christian leaders I know love the idea of more people coming to Christ and people coming to the church more and more people being part of their community. Sometimes when a an unhealthy leader is kind of at the center of that growth. Like people are coming to hear him preach or they've heard about him and he kind of has this reputation. They want to see what all the spectacle is about. That leader can get away with certain things because the church starts to believe that he's really central to the church's growth. Well, we don't, we want a bigger church. This Mm. is working. You know, his messages are working. His presence is bringing in more people. So yeah, there are some serious character issues, but who are we to stop the train because it's going so quickly and picking up speed and we don't want to slow that down. So a kind of overemphasis on growth and strategy at the expense of humble, grounded ministry leadership and spiritual direction. I just want to read something that you wrote on your last page because it was brilliantly written Um, And then ask you just, what are your thoughts? How do we recover from the aftermath and the effects? I mean, I mean, I can just think of examples on, again, not even mega churches, but just students who really have a bad taste in their mouth for church just after Mm -hmm. seeing what's happened in their own local community church, right? Like (laughs) there is some type of problem that's happening Mm -hmm. right now. And how do we recover from it? So I just want to read this. You say, maybe recovering from celebrities' toxic effects means accepting that our lives will be mostly a series of unhistoric acts whose final effects remain unknown to the world. Maybe it means casting off the big ideals of living big lives for God and accepting that our greatest moments of faithfulness may be achieved in complete obscurity. How do we recover, Caitlin, from the the effects of toxic celebrity culture mm-hmm. in I mean, America I think specifically. About the life of Jesus, which is the right answer for everything. <laughs> you know, it's easy for me to say, well, Jesus. Mm. But truly, um, you know, as we read about his life in the gospel accounts, Jesus, on one hand, 
was famous in that people wanted to hear him preach and speak and teach and see the miracles that he was performing and healings. And there was this kind of buzz about him, you know? And yet I'm struck by the fact that we read he also spent regular time away from the crowds to reconnect with the Lord. And I wonder if that is him getting away from the din of the crowds and kind of recentering himself on his earthly mission. We think about the fact that he didn't start his public ministry until age 30, and it lasted for three, three and a half years. So you think about, oh, what a waste of time. You know, he was a carpenter for like 12 years before that. Like mm-hmm, there was a kind of mm-hmm. inefficiency to his preaching and teaching. And then I think about the fact that he was actually known he kept his circles rather close. You know, his like his closest friends, the disciples, it was 12 people. And not without conflict and not without, you know, difficult... <laughs> and some women. That's, and there's you. some women in I was thinking group. of the 12 disciples, but yes. When we think about all of Jesus' <laughs> disciples, right. it wasn't a massive following. It was enough people who we imagine could actually get to know him and he could get to know in a deep, intimate level. Mm. And so even the Son of God needs intimate connection and relationship. And so if we follow Jesus or we, we at least find Jesus compelling, Jesus is the center of our faith. And this is the kind of life that he led. And of course, he died in such an ignoble, humiliating way. <laughs> If we think about spectacle and success and bigger and brighter, and this is the end of Jesus's life, you know, are we prepared Mm. to maybe not live and die in the same way, but accept a kind of humiliation in our own lives, accept something smaller, something less flashy, and let's let's see something that doesn't get attention. and that's something that I have to wrestle with again. Just going back to that question, could would I be okay if God asked me to give up yes. all of this public stuff, you know, to give up the platform, even though I think it's justified or I think it's doing good or whatever. The reality is that, you know, most Christians the world over the last 2000 years have lived very private lives of ordinary faithfulness. Very, very few people numerically have a kind of public platform or a call to that. So if most of the Christians the world over today and for the last 2,000 years (laughs) haven't had some kind of public influence or a call to be a thought leader, influencer, whatever, Mm. maybe we're not either. Like maybe actually what's ordinary Christian life is totally off the screen and off the stage. And are we okay accepting that that might be what God is calling us to as well? This is so good. Caitlin Beatty is the author of Celebrities for Jesus, and you can get her book wherever books are sold. Caitlin, my tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter Mm. the chat. In a time where social media has so many negatives surrounding it, at Viral Jesus, we want to encourage people to take ownership of how they are communicating their faith, both online and off. So my question for everybody this season is, how do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? One way that I have tried to practice this is to spend less time on it, (laughs) Um, to place limit to place deliberate limits on the number of hours that I am spending on social media um and then so when I am there I'm engaging in a very intentional way so you know all of us I'm sure mm. uh scroll or have found ourselves scrolling but becoming more mindful about our engagement with social media and then I think too of looking for opportunities to lift up perspectives and people with perspectives who may not be at the center of the conversation, who might be on the outskirts, but who have something really important to share with others and using the kind of modest following I have to leverage that to draw attention to 
other perspectives that might be missed or might be misheard or forgotten or ignored. So thinking about, okay, social media is a form of power. Well, use your power for good to empower others who have less of it. I want to share something with you I read in Exodus this morning. I am on my 13th lap through Scripture. I read the Bible cover to cover every single year. This morning, I saw something I didn't notice the other 12 times through. In Exodus 6, 6 through 9, it says this, Therefore, this is God talking, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And I want you to hear what he says in verse nine or what the Bible says in verse nine. I want you to hear what the Bible says in verse nine. Moses reported this to the Israelites but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Here is why healing is so important. And here is why when people tell you they've been deeply hurt by the failures of an institution they loved and trusted, here's why it matters. Pain causes us to be unable to see past our own misery. Verse 9 says, Moses reported this to the Israelites. He reports to them the very word of God, the assurance of their own deliverance, the promise of a covenant that belonged to them. But the verse ends by saying this, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement. Friend, Discouragement, pain, resentment, hurt, it can be so thick and so heavy, especially if we have really had our trust violated, that we cannot even hear the Word of God, even as it is spoken to us. We will deem things as a threat that are not a threat to us. We can get so caught up in our own pain that we can't even see the path to deliverance. Last week, I told you that my mentor texted me and said, Heather, look a little higher. If you look down, you'll become discouraged. If you look horizontally, we can tend to become frightened and intimidated. But if we look a little higher, we will see the source of our hope. We will lead at a time when leadership is needed most. I hope today's conversation helped validate some pains that truly need validation. I want you to know that we don't base our hope on a pastor, but on our Lord, who is the true shepherd. I want you to know that we are called to look a little higher, but I also want to be honest with you and say that we have gotten a lot wrong. There is some decluttering that needs to happen and that putting your trust in someone who breaks it can be really painful. The Israelites couldn't even hear the encouragement of Moses from the very mouth of God because they were still in so much pain. And you want to know what God did? You want to know what God did? He pursued them anyway. They couldn't hear it. And yet God pursues them anyway. Whatever pain you are in, whatever brokenness you've experienced, whatever ways your trust has been manipulated and abused, I want you to know that God will pursue you. You can heal from this and healed people heal people.
Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next episode, we talk to author, life planner, and relationship expert trained in marriage and family therapy, Chanel Do Kuhn, and learn how to heal from the life we thought we'd have. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.